For the past 10 weeks, we've been looking at the book of Daniel as a divine manual, giving us instructions on how to live our lives as exiles in this world, living our lives in our own Babylon. When you get to the end of the book of Daniel, we realize that Daniel is now an elder statesman. He's in his late 80s, and he has faithfully lived for the Lord his entire life. He's received dreams and visions that can only be compared to the Apostle John. And he has given us an example in how to live for the glory of God in a fallen world. The New Testament actually teaches us to look at these examples of lives and situations from the Old Testament to, so that we might learn from them, so we might follow in the good examples and not follow in the bad examples. And of course, Daniel is one of those good examples. When we come to the last verse of the last chapter, the Lord tells Daniel through a divine messenger, But as for you, go your own way to the end. Then you will enter into rest and rise again for your allotted portion at the end of the age. I believe this verse summarizes what we all want to hear as we transition from this world to the kingdom of God. We want to hear the Lord saying words like this to us as we even prepare for the ends of our lives. Go your way. Enter into rest. You will rise again and you will receive your internal inheritance in Christ. Now, for the past 10 weeks, we've looked at one chapter a week, and you might be wondering, well, what happened to chapters 10, 11, and 12? <laughs> well, the last three chapters of the book of Daniel is Daniel's last dream before his death. Actually, all three chapters is really one dream. Uh, the last three chapters is Daniel's fourth and final dream. And it gives in intensive detail behind the revelations that Daniel has already received in his earlier dreams. So, due to the fact that this final dream is three chapters long, all talking about one experience, all of it covering material that's very similar to Daniel's previous dreams, I thought it would be more edifying to conclude this series by giving a eulogy for Daniel. I've entitled this sermon, A Eulogy for Daniel. You know, as a pastor, I have officiated many funeral services. Usually at the beginning of a funeral service, there's someone who gets up and gives what is called a eulogy, which usually consists of stating the person's birthday, uh, the day of their passing, and mentioning intimate, uh, uh, immediate family members um, that are uh, still with us and are, are deceased as well. But really, a, a eulogy is much more than that. It's a eulogy is a speech or a writing in praise of a person, especially for a, a deceased person. And I want this sermon to be a praise for Daniel as we remember his life, his dreams, 
and the example that he has left us. And not only us, but for God's people throughout the centuries. So let's first of all take a look at Daniel's life. A lot of ways this will be summary, but I'm really trying to bring the book all together. I I want to encourage you, maybe uh, from the series and even from this sermon, that you might find time this week to read Daniel's chapter 1 through 6, maybe taking one chapter a day. Uh, That's the narrative portion of the book, and and that might help you kind of to close out uh, on the series yourself. Remember, we're first introduced to Daniel when he, along with other Jewish young boys, were taken captive by Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, to be trained as a skilled government official. The Bible tells us in the first chapter that these young boys had no defects. They were good-looking. They were intelligent in every branch of wisdom. They were endowed with knowledge and discernment. They were chosen to be trained to serve in Nebuchadnezzar's golden empire of Babylon. And as we looked at chapter 1, we saw that Daniel and his friends said yes to this pagan education that Nebuchadnezzar had designed for them, a three-year training program. They said yes to a political career in service to a foreign king and a foreign government that stood in direct contradiction to their own religious, political, and national beliefs. They said yes to changing their biblical names to names that honor pagan gods. They made a a commitment to seek the welfare of the city, believing that God had brought them as exiles to Babylon. And following the exhortation from the prophet Jeremiah, they would pray for the city and they would seek for its welfare through their individual contributions to society. They said yes to so many things, but they said no to eating the king's food. Verse 8 tells us that Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. He asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. So here we see in the first chapter, Daniel as a young man, is a young boy really, is, is resolved that even though he had been taken away from his family, even though he had been taken away from his country, even though he had been taken away from his temple, You aren't going to take away my covenant love for God. And what we've seen, it's that type of fervent love for God that is essential for us to live for the glory of God in Babylon. This is a theme that you'll find throughout the book, especially within the narrative passages of chapters 1 through 6. This resolve. And this is a resolve that they made as young boys, not even teenagers yet. And it followed them all the days of their life. I want you to understand the key point is is that if we're going to live as exiles in a foreign land, we have to be able to declare to the world, to ourselves, and to God. Listen, you can take everything I have, you can take everything I am, you can have all my hopes, all my dreams, but you're not going to take away my love for God. You can't have it. It's not for sale. 
This is exactly what Daniel and his three friends did. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Daniel and his three friends were promoted to the highest level of government in Babylon. They were ten times better than anybody else. And we see that though it wasn't long until their unwavering faith, their, their covenant love for God would be tested. And again, we see this is a this is a theme within the book that these that they, they make this commitment to for covenant love for God, but through times in their life that their faith would be tested. And we need to realize that as we live in Babylon, as we live in our Babylon, that we make this this commitment to have love for God, but there will be times when our faith will be tested. Of course, we see the first test came when Nebuchadnezzar constructed a massive golden statue and demanded everyone in the empire to come and to bow down to it. And Daniel and his friends, they knew that Nebuchadnezzar's uh, edict was in direct conflict to their covenant commitment with God, and they would not bow. As a result, Nebuchadnezzar ordered them to be burned alive in a fiery furnace that was stoked up as hot as it could be. And as they were thrown into that furnace, one like the Son of God appeared and protected them from the flames so not even the smell of smoke was upon their garments. And here we see a a, a promise of God that we make a covenant commitment to God, our faith is going to be tested, But God will make it so not even the smoke of this world will singe our garments. This is a promise that God gives his people. And it's something that we should expect in our lives. I hope that you never get thrown into a fiery furnace. But I think you get the point. Actually, we see something else happening. Nebuchadnezzar responds to this son of, uh, of, of the Son of God, this, this one of the, of the Son of God in the fiery furnace, and he responds to that, that one rescuing Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego by himself, a pagan king, giving praise to God. And we're going to see that again later on in the book. Nebuchadnezzar responded and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, whom they put their trust in him, violating the king's command and yielding up their bodies so that they would not serve or worship any god except their own. So Nebuchadnezzar, a pagan king, is stating in this testimony that he knows that they violated his command. But there's something bigger than Nebuchadnezzar, and that's the God in heaven. Daniel and his three friends, they served faithfully in a foreign government of Babylon, but their allegiance was always to the king of kings. They lived in Babylon. But they were looking for a city whose architect and builder is God. And this must be our mindset as we live in this world. We live in this world, but we serve the king of kings. Amen? We live in Babylon, 
But we're looking for a city whose architect and builder is God. We're looking for something bigger, something better. And it might not come in this, in this world, but it's going to come in the next. Amen? Later on, we see the Lord revealed to Daniel that Persia would overthrow the Babylonians. The handwriting was on the wall. That's a little pun of chapter 5. The handwriting was on the wall that the Persian invasion was just outside the city gates. We see that the Persians conquered the Babylonian Empire. And Daniel, he not only survived the overthrow, but eventually he was risen to, again, one of the highest positions in this new government of the Persian Empire. Now, the transition from what we see in the beginning chapters to what we see now in chapters 5 and 6, well, Daniel is 80 years old within that span of time. So, what we don't see recorded uh, in, in Scripture is that for 70 years, 70 years, from a young boy to an old man, he has faithfully served the God that he loved. But once again, we see that his faith, his love for God would be tested. But this time it wouldn't come from Nebuchadnezzar because Nebuchadnezzar is gone. It would come from a decree from Darius. Darius was the overseer of the Babylonian territory that was appointed by the king of Persia. And into an attempt to try to gain control of the territory of Babylon, Darius, he decreed that if anyone prays to any god except to him for 30 days, that person would be thrown into the lion's den. Now, as soon as Daniel heard that the decree had been signed, the scriptures tell us in chapter 6, verse 10, Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. Here I've mentioned this not only when we looked at it uh, in chapter 6, but I mentioned it last week. As well, Daniel would, would bow his knees by, at this window that was facing to, towards Jerusalem. And he would do this not so much to let his prayers out, but he did it to let God in. Because Daniel knew that he needed a daily realignment of faith. Daniel knew that he was, he was under so much stress and he was at the height of, of political power in the world. And it would be easy just to fall into the customs and the ways people are doing things and, 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 and lose his perspective of the kingdom of God in his own heart and the kingdom of God that is to come. So Daniel's actions, we saw, was not out of defiance to Darius or his decree, but it was Actually, that was simply out of a heart of love and devotion to God. Daniel believed that no one or no thing was able to come between him and God. See how the theme carries from his young days to his older days? And this is what Darius' decree had done. It, it had put someone in the middle. And Daniel wasn't going to have it. 
It's this type of spiritual devotion, this, this daily realignment. It, it's this, this type of spiritual devotion that I'm going to keep focused on the principles and the precepts of the Word of God as I live in this world. It's that type of focus that we need as believers to survive in this world. If we lose that focus, we've lost it all. Daniel's actions, of course, were reported to Darius and he was forced by his own decree to throw Daniel into the lion's den. But just like the flames of the furnace were not able to bring a smell of smoke upon the clothes of Daniel's friends, these lions were not allowed to touch Daniel. Again, this is a promise that we need to have for ourselves, that God will continue to rescue us. God will continue to provide for us, even when we think that doing, following the Word of God was going to bring harm upon us. We need to know that it won't. God will shut the mouths of lions in our lives. Amen? Amen. Then Darius, here we go again, another theme from, we see it at the beginning of Daniel's story, and now at the end of Daniel's story. Then Darius, the king, wrote to all the people, nations, and every man of every language who are living in the land, May your peace abound. I make a decree that in all the dominion of my kingdom, men are to fear and tremble before the God of Daniel. For he is a living God, enduring forever, and his kingdom, which is one which will not be destroyed, and his dominion will be forever. For he delivers and rescues and performs signs and wonders in heaven and on earth, who has also delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel enjoyed success in the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus of Persia. Brothers and sisters, don't you see it that our God, when we really submit to him and lay down our lives to him with this covenant love, this devotion to him and not allowing anything to get in between us, but maintaining a focus, really putting ourselves for daily realignment so that we can maintain the principles of the kingdom of God. The scripture tells us that God delivers, rescues and performs signs and wonders. And that's exactly what we should expect in our lives today. We should expect God to rescue us. We should expect God to deliver us. And we should expect God to perform signs and wonders in our lives. This is not a fairy tale. This is real life living. And notice it says that Daniel enjoyed success. Many times when we make these, what the world might view as radical commitments to God, uh, we, we're, we're fearful that we, we, we won't succeed anymore. <laughs> and here it is. God is just showing us through the life of Daniel. No, you make a commitment to me. And brother, I've made a commitment to you. And I'm going to help you to enjoy success in this world. Amen. Amen. What a life. Again, I want to encourage you to read chapters 1 through 6. Uh, Daniel, again, maybe one chapter a day this coming week, and I want you to really pray that God would give you this type of deep covenant love for him. Now, Daniel actually would die a, a few years later. But it, when he died, he died with the confidence knowing that he had served God and man faithfully 
for over 70 years. Knowing that you lived a life with uncompromised faith for the glory of God, this is life's greatest achievement. It's not what you buy. It's not what you own. It's not what you drive. It's not what you wear. Your life's greatest achievement is that you can live all the days of your life and say, I have faithfully served God and man. This is what we need as we live in our Babylon. Actually, Daniel could say words like the Apostle Paul who wrote, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. <laughs> that is, how, how much do you want to say that? Now, Paul says, and I know Daniel knew it as well, that there was stored up for me a, a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, uh, will award to me on that day. And not only me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Brothers and sisters, we need the Spirit of God to work in our hearts and to fortify our faith so that we might be able to say at the end of our days, we fought the good fight, we finished the race, we've kept the faith. We need to have faith believing that God is going to give us a crown of righteousness and that He one day, not because we're worthy, but because He's great, will reward us. And this was for Daniel, and this was for Paul, and this is for you and me. This is to all who long for the Lord's appearing. And Daniel definitely longed for the Lord's appearing. You still here with me this morning? Now, Daniel not only lived a distinguished life, but God had also gifted him with the extraordinary ability to interpret dreams and to receive divine revelations. As a young man, God enabled Daniel to interpret Nebuchadnezzar's dream. And Nebuchadnezzar's dream that we find in the earlier chapters would lay a foundation for Daniel's understanding of future events. It would lay a foundation for his understanding of future events that would lead up to what we know to be the second coming of Christ and the establishments of God's eternal kingdom. Now, remember, he was a young man in the early portions of the, of, the, of the book. But now, when we get to chapter 6, and definitely chapter 7 through 12, we see Daniel is a man in old age. And it's during that time of his old age that God would give Daniel additional dreams that would disclose the details behind his first revelation with Nebuchadnezzar. At this point, as a young man, this dream that he interpreted for Nebuchadnezzar, well, it was all that he knew. But that was all he needed for 70 years. Oh, if we would just be satisfied with just the little morsels from God's word. If we just delight in the truths of God's word and let those things sustain us. Maybe we don't have all the answers. Maybe we don't have it all figured out. But we do have this little morsel of God's word that encourages me and refreshes me and nourishes me. That's what Daniel had for the majority of his life. 
just that one dream. But as I said before, this dream that he interpreted in Nebuchadnezzar laid the foundation for his kind of world and life view. And that was that God orchestrates world history. And he orchestrates world history to bring forth the Messiah and to establish the eternal kingdom. Daniel will tell Nebuchadnezzar in his dream that he saw a great statue and it was large and extraordinarily splendor and it was, its appearance was awesome. And the head of the statue was made of fine gold and the breast and its arms silver and its belly and thighs bronze and its legs iron and, 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 and we see that the feet were partially iron and partially clay. Now at this time in the earlier chapters of the book, Daniel could only identify that the head of gold was the Babylonian Empire. It was decades later in the series of the four dreams that would come in chapters 7 through 12 that the Lord would reveal the details about the other empires that would emerge upon the world stage. So later in Daniel's life, God revealed to Daniel that after the Babylonian Empire would be the Persian Empire. Can we have the next slide? So after Babylon, there would be Persia. After Persia, Greece. After Greece, then Rome. And after Rome, the divided kingdoms. Now remember, only thing Daniel knows at this early part of his life is the Babylonian Empire. He doesn't even, can't even identify any of these things. For decades later, he doesn't know these other empires. And all these other empires, well, they emerge before Daniel he gets to see the Persians, but he didn't get to see any of the rest of them. But world history teaches us that that's exactly what happened. And it was already recorded 500 years before Christ in, ch in chapters 7 through 12. Thanks be to God. God is in control. Now, of course, we realize that Jesus' life, death, and resurrection occurred during the Roman Empire. So, Daniel's dreams tell us of the four empires leading up to Jesus' first coming. That is Babylon, Persia, Greece, then Rome. Then the Lord will come, his first coming. And the dream also tells us that after God's fulfillment through Jesus Christ upon the cross, then there will be the, these divided nations will occupy the world stage. Now later, decades later in Daniel's life, God would reveal to Daniel that these Divided nations would wage war against one another and they would bring great harm to the people of God. And each time when you read chapters 7 through 12, those four dreams, each time the Lord reveals to Daniel this, this persecution that comes upon the people of God and his dreams, Daniel states that he is emotionally overwhelmed and he's physically distressed. Brothers and sisters, we live in the age of the divided nations. That's where we live right now. That's it. And because we live in the time of the divided nations, Christians 
have become obsessed with trying to identify what nations represent those clay feet and those ten little toes. And this obsession of trying to, uh, to, 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 to identify what nation is this one, or does the third toe on the right foot have a pedicure or not? This, this obsession has caused so much confusion surrounding Daniel's dreams. As I mentioned to you before, I, I, I've talked to pastors and they say, oh, I only preach chapters 1 through 6 of Daniel. I never get involved with chapters 7 through 12. This obsession of trying to precisely identify what nation is represented by each toe, it's caused many to miss the main point of Nebuchadnezzar's dream. It's caused so many to miss the main point of Daniel's dreams that he'll have later on in his life. And if you've missed it, let me say it again. Let me state it clearly. The main point is this, that no matter how messed up the world is, God is still in control and he is orchestrating world history to bring forth his Christ, the second coming of Christ and establish his eternal kingdom. Yes and amen. And that's all what Daniel's dreams teach us. Now, if I have discovered anything. In my many years of studying biblical prophecy, it's this. If the details of your interpretation has taken you down a road that hinders the glory of God and the establishment of his eternal kingdom through Christ, then you've made a wrong turn. Uh, let me, I, that's going to help somebody in this, in this house today, but... If the details of your interpretation has taken you down a road that hinders the glory of God and the establishment of his eternal kingdom through Christ, then you have taken a wrong turn. Let me say it like this. If something like the millennium or something like the great tribulation or something like the number of years have become more important than Christ. Well, you're watching the wrong movie. Let me just say it like this. If someone like the Antichrist or someone like the beast or some world ruler has become a, a, a primary figure in your interpretation rather than Christ, then you're watching the wrong channel. It's Christ. It's all about Christ. Don't you get it? From the opening pages of scriptures to the last one. It's Christ. And if any of our interpretations take our focus upon Christ, we're going down the wrong road. It's been about Christ. It's always about Christ. You see, Daniel's explanation of Nebuchadnezzar's dream, well, it doesn't end with this statue with these divided nations of the world standing in defiance to God. Daniel goes on to tell Nebuchadnezzar that as he continued to look at the great statue, a stone cut out of the mountain without hands 
strikes the clay feet and the ten toes like a meteor out of heaven, causing the whole statue to collapse into a pile of rubble. And then Daniel says, and then finally after all the the dust settles, you know what? I didn't see a trace of any of those empires or any of those divided nations. They were gone. Brothers and sisters, this is the messianic meteor coming down out of heaven. This is the second coming of Christ. And Daniel explains that that stone that struck that statue, well, it becomes a great mountain that fills the earth. Brothers and sisters, this is the establishment of the kingdom of Christ at his second coming. This is what John told us in Revelation chapter 11. The kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. Amen. (laughs) That's Daniel's dreams. That's it. It's the establishment of the kingdom of Christ at his second coming when this earth passes away, and the Lord creates a new heaven and new earth. Daniel's dream, Daniel's dreams have always been about the rule and reign of Christ. In Daniel's first dream, the Lord Jesus is introduced, as I've just mentioned, as a stone made without hands. In chapter 7, the Lord Jesus is presented like Uh, One like the Son of Man who is given dominion, glory, and a kingdom. In chapter 8, the Lord Jesus is the prince of princesses who destroys the wicked one with divine justice. In chapter 9, the Lord Jesus is the Messiah who will will usher in the perfect jubilee. In chapter 10, we see the Lord Jesus displayed in all of his splendor and glory just as he will appear at his second coming. Thanks be to God. Listen, brothers and sisters, in Daniel's dream, you might have a variety of morph mystical creatures. You might have animals. And we all know we got those horns, those silly horns. Everywhere is horns. But the primary figure is Christ. And once we start looking to those creatures, those animals, and those horns of having more significance than Christ, then we just messed up. I guess the Sunday school student is true. The answer is always Jesus. (laughs) Throughout the book... Daniel presents a perfect eschatology, that is the the doctrine of last things. And his, his eschatology is consistent with the rest of Scripture. And let me just put it into a nutshell for you. God reveals through Daniel that until the second coming of Christ, there will be a progression of wickedness in this world that will increase more and more and more as time passes on. That's where we're living. And even though this period of the divided nations, this period before the Lord returns, this period before this messianic meteor comes from heaven, it's going to be extremely difficult, especially as time goes on. But believers need to have confidence that God reigns on high. Amen? 
We need to have confidence that Christ will rise as the victor. Amen. We need to have confidence that he will come one day and he will give us our eternal inheritance of grace. Amen. Amen. This is the reason why the Lord tells Daniel in the last verse of the last chapter. But as for you, go your way till the end. Then you will enter into rest and rise again for your allotted portion at the end of the age. This is the Lord's final words to Daniel. What a fitting way for a hero of the faith to conclude his book. The Lord saying to him, but as for you, go your way to the end. Then you will enter into rest and rise again for your allotted portion at the end of the age. You talk about riding off into the sunset. <laughs> but this, this promise isn't just for Daniel. It's for all of us. As for you, go your way until the end of your life. Enter into the rest that Christ has accomplished for you through his death and resurrection. Because one day, you're going to rise again. And on that day, you're going to receive an allotted inheritance, the inheritance of grace. And all that will be at the end of the age. I think it's important for us to pour ourselves into these final words for our lives today. You know, we need to understand that Daniel's faith is our faith. Daniel wasn't the incarnate Christ. Daniel's faith was our faith. He was a man just like you and just like me. And we need to look at Daniel's life as an example of how we are to live lies for the glory of God as we live in this fallen world. So I want to challenge you as we consider these final words given to Daniel. I want to challenge you to build a, leg a legacy of faith like Daniel so that you, it can be said of you when you pass that you fought a good fight, you finished the race, you kept the faith. There's no better thing that can be said of you if we learn anything from Daniel, is that he really lived a life that left a legacy of faith. Let's, let's enter into the rest of Christ. And for now, let's stop laboring to make ourselves acceptable to God through our good works. And let's trust in the work of Christ on our behalf. Let's, there, there still remains, as the writer of Hebrews says, there still remains a, a Sabbath rest for the people of God. And that's, you know what that is? Is that you daily resting in Christ. That Christ has done everything for you. He's finished it for you. And if you have that type, if you enter into that rest, then one day when you breathe your last breath, you're going to be able to enter into that rest that's beyond all comprehension. Let's have faith believing that if we die before the Lord returns, that we will rise again. 
If we die before the Lord returns, we will die again. This is our blessed hope. Amen. We will rise again. And you know what? When you rise, when the Lord raises you from the dead and reunites you to your, to your, to your spiritual man and your body and soul are combined into this eternal being for all glory, guess what? You're going to gain an, an eternal inheritance of grace. You'll forever be with the Lord. You know, let's live our lives so that we can hear the Lord say, well done, good and faithful servant. Yeah. yeah just hearing those words. Can you imagine how Daniel felt when he passed from this life to the next and the Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. Listen, you don't need any statues, you don't need any monuments, you don't need any plaques, you don't, what you need is for the Lord to say, well done, good and faithful servant. You need to hear the Lord say, come, inherit the kingdom that was prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Can you believe that? Before the world even existed, God had his inheritance mapped out for us. Come, Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Brothers and sisters, make a commitment to Christ. Today, if you've never made a commitment to Christ and the Lord is speaking to you, just, just surrender. The way you come to the Lord is simple. You just give up. You say, I can't, but Jesus can. Maybe you need to rededicate yourself to the Lord today. Maybe you really need to... Say, you know, I need, I really do need to make a, a vow of covenant love and commitment to God. I need, I need really to start realigning myself. I, I need to look at the principles that we've learned from Daniel. And I need to implement it in my life because I think this guy knew the right way. Let's pray. Lord God, we come to you today thanking you for the life of Daniel and thank you for the book of Daniel that we've been able to study this last 10 weeks. Lord, we thank you that you, Lord, have created for us the culture of the kingdom of God so that we can have confidence to go our own way, that we can live for you until the end. And that we, will, that we can enter into the rest of Christ. Lord Jesus, I, I give up all my works. I give up all my striving. I let it all go. And I accept everything that you did on my behalf. And I ask you, Lord, to forgive me of my sins. Come into my life and call me out as a child of God. And as your children, Lord, we come to you and ask you to... Just equip us like you equipped your servant Daniel. Equip us to live in this, our Babylon. And if we die before you come, we have the blessed hope that we will rise again. And that we will then gain an eternal inheritance of grace. Thanks be to God. And we pray these prayers in Jesus' name. Amen.